Frank Rosenthal was obviously ruffling a few feathers because his high-profile battle with the authorities in Las Vegas uh, to obtain his gaming licence was attracting too much attention, which the mob, especially the Chicago outfit, tended to shun. Apparently he made it even worse when he started his own talk show on television. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Frank Rosenthal. Why stop now, Henry? <laughs> and Frank Rosenthal was, uh, he was already a colourful gambling figure. He had attracted the attention of the authorities because of his ties to the Chicago outfit. Uh, he was a bookmaker gambler and he was also implicated in multiple sports bribery scandals over the years so he was already attracting a lot of attention they just wanted him to calm it down i think that's what it was referring to that white tap isn't that right yeah yeah that's it well welcome all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio of gangland wire i'm on the zoom call if you're on youtube with our friend tony Toke from Sydney, Australia. Tony is a lawyer down there and he has a, a huge interest in mob lawyers. And being a lawyer, you know, you kind of have an interest in other lawyers. And when you look into them, you want to see a lot more about how they work and what made them successful or not successful. I know I do the same thing when I read about mob lawyers. And, and so Tony has done that. And, you know, we've done one other show about um, Roy Cohen with him, which was really interesting. I didn't know hardly anything about Roy Cohen at the time. Tonight, we're going to do Oscar Goodman. Now, I know a lot about Oscar Goodman because I sat in a witness chair while he cross-examined me one time, scared the heck out of me. He wasn't that big a deal, but I didn't have that much to say anyhow. So welcome, Tony. It's really good to have you back. Thank you for having me, Gary. So how's the weather down under? Is it it's uh, uh, fall down there, isn't it? It's at the moment. It's it's actually it's uh, late summer, but it's uh, rainy and miserable today. <laughs> oh really? Yes. Now your winters, you're in Sydney, right? Yes. Uh, and your winters, do they get very bad at all, or is it still pretty moderate? Are you closer to the equator, say, than we are here in Missouri? Nothing compared to the United States. Okay. Yeah, very mild compared to the U.S. I've been to the U.S. in winter, and it's uh, <laughs> our winters are very mild compared. Okay, to the US. it's hell in the winter here, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. And so you've been to Las Vegas more than once, I yes. believe. All right, yes, and, and you've yes. been to the Mob Museum. Yes, I have. So I really loved it. Yes. Yeah, it's a great place, isn't it? And you know, guys, if you know it or don't, if you don't know it, Oscar Goodman was a big reason that they even got that Mob Museum and. Uh, Las Vegas. He was the mayor at the time. He had all this experience with mobsters. Of course, who would they go to to get his blessing to put that kind of money into a, a building that was close to downtown? They needed the city of Las Vegas on board, and Oscar Goodman was all over it. He he really it was up to him to to have the final say so, and and he was all over it. He's on the board. He's still active in the uh, running of it and sitting on the board. And he has a, the restaurant there. Is it Oscars? Is that the name of it, Tony? That's right. Yes. Uh, did, did you eat in it? I've been there once. We just was a bunch of people and we had drinks. Yes, I went there, but I never, I, I couldn't get a hold of him. I couldn't meet him. I went there twice and I wasn't able to meet him. That, mm -hmm. I think he was out of town at the time. Yeah, he's yes. kind of available. He goes in and out of that restaurant, it's my understanding. Yeah, uh, well, I went there twice and I couldn't find him. It's in... Uh, it's in old Vegas uh, next to the Golden Nugget and Binions, and, uh, isn't it? Uh, 
Right. It's, right. It, it's yes. what we what we call downtown. Uh, downtown, yes. old downtown Las Vegas. Vegas. Yes, right, yes. Uh, by uh, that Fremont uh, Strip or Fremont Experiences down there, which is crazy. That's right. <laughs> That's yes. the craziest place I was ever at. I think. <laughs> Yes, yes. Anyhow, let's talk about Oscar Goodman, his legal career. Now, he came, he, he did not grow up in Las Vegas. Where did you find he came from? He's originally from Philadelphia. He received his uh, law degree from the University of Pennsylvania in 1964. After a short stint in the uh, Philadelphia District Attorney's Office, uh, Oscar moved to Las Vegas in 1965, where he set up a legal practice, and he began accepting any work that came through the door, especially court-appointed criminal cases. He began to attract national attention in 1970. That year, he successfully defended 12 suspected bookmakers who'd been arrested in a nationwide raid uh, based on wiretaps. Now, in the course of defending the bookmakers, he learned that the de- then Attorney General John Mitchell had delegated authority for the wiretap, for approving the wiretaps to his executive assistant. Rather than signing them personally, the law required that the Attorney General sign them personally. Goodman seized on this error to get the wiretap evidence excluded, non admissible, and the charges against all the defendants were dropped. As a result of the nationwide publicity generated by this case, he began to attract other high-profile clientele, including people connected to organized crime. Another big break was when he represented Maya Lansky, who needs no introduction. Um, He was accused of skimming millions of dollars from the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas in the early 1970s, and he retained Oscar Goodman to defend him. Goodman managed to get the charges against uh, Lansky dropped on the grounds that he was too ill to be tried. In the early 1970s, Goodman was retained by a man who was destined to become his most notorious client, Tony Spilotro. He's the uh, reputed Chicago mobster who apparently was sent to Las Vegas by the outfit to oversee its interests there, uh, namely the skin. Now, the character Nicky Santoro in the movie Casino, uh, brilliantly portrayed by Joe Pesci, is based on Tony Spilotro. Spilotro is the suspect in more than two dozen killings and various other crimes, and he was never convicted thanks largely to the efforts of Oscar Goodman. Uh, I'm not going to go over all the cases where Goodman acted for Spilotro because I'm going to focus on the more notorious and notable ones, given the limited time we have. One example is when in 1983, uh, Spilotro was indicted after the execution-style slayings of two hoodlums in Chicago in 1962, 20 years prior. These these killings were particularly gruesome because one of the men's heads was placed in a vice and squeezed until his eyeball popped out, uh, as portrayed in the uh, movie Casino. The chief prosecution witness was Spilotro's former associate, a burglar and career criminal who became an informant, Frank Collotta. I'm sure everyone's heard of him. He died recently, I think, from COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goodman, like most effective mob lawyers, uh, he was very good at portraying the informants used by the prosecution as just as bad, if not worse, mm-hmm. than his clients. And there was plenty of material to seize upon given their vast criminal credentials spanning decades in some cases. Uh, In the course of his testimony, uh, Collotta admitted involvement in a vast litany of crimes, including perjury, 
and four murders, and Spilotro was subsequently acquitted. Goodman kept defending Spilotro until he turned up dead in a Indiana cornfield in 1986. Uh, I believe he was under indictment at the time of his death. Uh, Oscar's biggest victory came when he successfully defended Jimmy Chagra, a Texas gambler and drug trafficker charged with plotting the 1979 assassination of the U.S. Federal Court Judge John H. Wood Jr. in San Antonio, Texas. Now, uh, Judge Wood was due to preside over Chagra's upcoming trial for drug trafficking, and he was renowned for handing down very harsh sentences for drug-related offences to the point where he earned the nickname Maximum John and he relished that nickname. From what I've read about him, he wasn't very fair in his uh, verdicts, in his uh, in his uh, sentences. He, he was just way too harsh, very excessive, I would say. It was the first killing of a federal judge in the 20th century. Uh, the prosecution claimed that Chagra paid hitman Charles Harrison, who's Coincidentally, actor Woody Harrelson's father, $250,000 to murder the judge. The case was particularly difficult for the defence. The defendant's brother had pleaded guilty to conspiracy in the plot to kill the judge. Uh, Also, the government's case was based primarily on tape conversations between Chagra and various people, and in particular, a jailhouse conversation with a convicted criminal serving a life term at Leavenworth. Uh, His name was Jerry Ray James. Jerry Ray James testified that Chagra bragged to him at their second meeting in prison that he was responsible for having Judge Wood killed. Uh, Pretty damaging stuff. Goodman managed to discredit James by blasting holes in his testimony, of course, and shaming the government for making a sweetheart sweetheart deal with him in return for his cooperation. In relation to the admission, the jailhouse admission that he allegedly made, Goodman argued that Chagra bragged about being responsible for the judge's killing falsely, only to look like a tough guy to other prison mates in Leavenworth. In relation to the money allegedly paid for the hit, interestingly, Goodman didn't deny that Chagra paid Harrelson the $250,000 as any other lawyer would, I would imagine. Instead, he convinced the jury that the $250,000 was blackmail money Charles Harrison had extorted from Chagra after the fact. Chagra was acquitted in a stunning verdict that significantly bolstered his status in national legal circles. Goodman returned to his hometown, Philadelphia, in the mid-1980s to defend the murderous uh, Nicky Scarfo, who I'm sure all your viewers have heard of, when he faced an array of charges that included, among other things, conspiracy to take over a multi-million dollar drug ring and the murder of a mobster known as Salvatore Testa. As usual, the chief witnesses in both cases were ex-mobsters turned informants. Goodman again used their unsavoury backgrounds and inconsistencies in their testimonies to destroy their credibility. And Scarfo and his associates were acquitted on both occasions. But as you know, even if you have the best lawyers at your side, if the government keeps throwing mud up against the wall, eventually some of it's going to stick. Prosecutors kept up the pressure on Scarfo and uh, eventually his luck ran out. He was convicted three times for conspiracy, racketeering and first-degree murder and he spent the rest of his life in prison. 
this is where it gets really interesting uh, with Oscar's career. Um, he spent his entire career uh, openly broadcasting his animosity towards the FBI, federal and state prosecutors, local law enforcement, and took every opportunity to tell the media that they were no better than his clients. And in turn, law enforcement as well constantly implied that he was more than a lawyer for his, for his clients, that he was some kind of advisor or consigliere or something. And that's not unusual because uh, mob lawyers are seen as mere accessories to their clients a lot of the time. And they get tarred with the same brush all the time. Now, you'd think that such a, with such a colourful client list in history and being so hated by law enforcement, uh, he'd be the last person who would dare to have political aspirations. Uh, over the, now, over the decades, I've heard of many mob lawyers who represent the mob. They've been indicted, disbarred, not all of them, but a lot of them, dis- indicted, disbarred, jailed, on some occasions even jailed and killed or maimed. Uh, Goodman avoided all that, somehow was able to spin all the negative publicity in his title as mob lawyer into gold and run for mayor of Las Vegas. He was elected mayor of Las Vegas three times from 1999 until 2011. And then after he finished, his wife, I believe, uh, became mayor, succeeded him. And she's currently the mayor of Las Vegas, I believe, Uh, as the old adage says, only in America. (laughs) <laughs> that is that's yes. uh, that's yes. a heck of a story when i first heard he he was the las vegas mayor of course at the time i still had the idea that all mob lawyers were part of the mob and you know just like what you said tony but you know apparently he wasn't and the more i learned about him and the more i've read about him uh, john smith did a book called of mice and men that's a pretty yes. uh, intense look at the life of oscar goodman and and he was not. He was just a lawyer. And 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 I became a lawyer myself. I understood the deal. You know, you're just a lawyer. <laughs> you know, you're nothing else but just a lawyer. So it's. Uh, but he hated informants. He he made that well known. And he was a master, a master at discrediting these informants who would get up and testify. Yes. Uh, and and that's why I couldn't get that first conviction on Tony's Blatro because uh, Frank yes. Culotta had a lot of dirty laundry. <laughs> He, he was pretty good at discrediting uh, informants, especially. Uh, it was the same drill. They just, uh, it'd get them, even though the prosecutors would get them to reveal their unsavory backgrounds, he would really hone in on it yeah. and bring out the worst. And, you know, the jury would be stunned and they just look and think, God, is this guy any better than the defendant? And <laughs> getting acquitted. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oscars, uh, you know, going back to that Jimmy Chagger case. Not only his brother, his own brother, Joe Chagra, copped a plea on that case. His wife yes. copped a plea, too, for taking yes. the payoff money to uh, Charles Charles Harrelson's wife or girlfriend. I can't remember which. And so she she served time and he never did uh, for that. Other than while he was in on bond, they caught him on another case in the end with his his marijuana uh, distribution operation and ended up getting almost life. He got out sometime in the last few years and died shortly after he got out. Uh, you know, it was just, that was amazing that it got him off. Now, and uh, Oscar may have sought out something that I, I don't know if he introduced this, but in reading a book about that case, this Charles Harrelson, one of his early murders was a kind of a murder where he murdered somebody that some rich guy down in somewhere in Texas, he knew that the guy wanted this person killed. So he goes and kills him. Then he goes to him afterwards 
said, hey, I took care of this for you, you know, pay me. And, and if you think about it, he very likely could have done that. He could have killed Judge Wood and then gone to Jimmy Chagrin and said, hey, pay me, pay me, dude. Yes. And Harrelson was the kind of guy that, you know, going to prison didn't bother him. You know, he he was just one of those guys. He just was, he was nuts, boy. And so I, that, I think maybe that was a good defense. Then, and I got a feeling from reading that book, that might have been what happened. So Oscars, he finds that that one chink in the government's armor in the government's case. He'll find that one thing, just like the who signed actually signed the wiretap order. That takes a lot of research and attention to detail. You go back and find all that paperwork. Government gives you five boxes, five banks or bankers boxes full of information and and you know, hours and hours and hours of wiretaps. And he thought enough to go all the way back and look at the basis for those wiretaps and then notice that one little detail that many other lawyers could easily just look over and not pay any attention to it. So that was that guy was good. Yes. And uh, in that Chagra case, he actually was successful in moving the case from Texas or from Las Vegas to Jacksonville, Florida, to make sure the jury was impartial. And taking that course of admitting that he did pay the $250,000 was extremely risky. It could have gone the other way very easily. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, he took the risk and he succeeded. But, I mean, any most lawyers wouldn't dare take a risk like that <laughs> because it implies guilt as soon as you hand over that money, especially $250,000. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. like I said, he finds the weak point, the weak spot in the case and and goes for it. And he has a, a nose for that. Everybody doesn't have a nose for that. It's really interesting. You know, I, I said earlier that uh, I'd once been cross-examined by him. He was, see, he, during the skim trials, was skimming from Las Vegas, he was already Tony Spilatro's lawyer, and Tony was charged in the skim case. So Nick Savella had used, our boss here in Kansas City had used Oscar quite a little bit, and he, but he couldn't use him for the skim trial. And then he died before uh, the trials actually got going. Anyhow, he was indicted, but then he died before the, the trial. So he, he, you know, didn't matter anyhow. But, uh, and then Tony Spilatro died or was killed before he was actually tried for the skimming from Las Vegas. It would have been interesting because they would have done it in Kansas City. He was back here with Tony a few times in Kansas City. And then Tony got a continuance, I believe, because he had a heart attack or something. So he wasn't tried with the rest of the people on the uh, skimming from Las Vegas trials. We had Ayupa and and Jackie Cerrone and uh, Angelo La Pietra and, and uh, of course, Nick Savella and Cork Savella and uh, uh, Tuffy DeLuna, all of our bosses in Kansas City, and a couple more from Chicago, Joey Lombardo. We're all had to stand trial for that skimming. So it was it was like Mob Central in our courthouse in downtown Kansas City for a while. But Oscar Goodman didn't have to stick around because Tony got that continuance. Yes. Now, when when he I think go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I think he was under indictment for that skimming trial when he died. Uh, when yeah, he got he killed. Was. Oh, he was. Tony Spolotro. Yes. Yeah. And Goodman was representing him as well. When in regards to when I ran into him, he was defending Nick Savella's nephew, Anthony Tony Ripe Savella, on a case where they were, he and several other guys here in Kansas City had set up some companies to make it look like they owned several nursing homes and they're able to buy pharmaceuticals at a huge discount that were supposed to go to nursing homes only. And they didn't. They went into a warehouse and then 
Tony Ripe had a contact out in Nevada that had several um, pharmacies, independently owned pharmacies, and then they would sell it retail out through those pharmacies. We called it a gray market drug operation, and he was he was a lawyer on that for uh, Tony Ripe's Bella. And I had to testify that, and it was kind of funny, you know, the, these cases, they have all these little pieces that the prosecutors put in place. And one little piece was came off of a wire that Tony Ripe was going to go meet one of his Confederates, the guy who actually had the little warehouse and ran the little warehouse of just like a kind of a storefront looking thing that they would drop off these boxes and boxes of pharmaceuticals Then another somebody would package them up and then ship them out to Nevada. And Tony Ripe was supposed to meet this guy at a restaurant for some reason. They didn't know exactly why. So they called me up. They called out the unit and said, hey, can you get two guys down to the uh, Marty's barbecue right away? Because Nick or Tony Wright, Sabella's going to meet somebody down there. We need to know who it is. So I grabbed this other guy and we run down there and we start eating. It was a barbecue and we start eating our barbecue. And all of a sudden there's a young kid looking guy sitting in there. And then all of a sudden Tony Wright comes in. He sits down with this guy. It's like, what the heck? I mean, this kid just looked like, I don't know, just looked like some guy that, you know, worked for the phone company or something. <laughs> and Ripe sits down there and they chat a little bit. And, you know, I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye. And pretty soon I can see Ripe take something out of his pocket and he gets a pen out and, and he writes on something. Then he tears it out and hands it to this kid like you would a check. But I couldn't really see what it was. They say bye and both leave, each their own way. And Somebody else is outside. They pick out the tag on this kid, the, the license plate, like identify who he is and then show me a picture and say, yeah, that, that's who it was. Well, that was, you know, that's who they thought it was going to be. And, and, and that's what they thought they were going to see is him writing a check to this guy. And then they go to this guy's account and get the check. So they present all that as evidence. And, and of course, I don't know this. I'm sitting outside. They, they make all the witnesses stay out of the courtroom, except for when you testify. And then, unless you're, and then if you're done, you can come back in. Otherwise, you got to stay out of the courtroom. And so I go in there the day before, actually, the U.S. attorney, about four of them sat me down and they just grilled me and peppered me with questions and were acted like they were mad at me and aggressive and then backed off and then got aggressive again and tried to see if I would waffle a little bit in any way. And it was it's such a small thing, but that's how how uh, prepared those guys were. So I go in there and the next day I walk in and there's a whole courtroom filled with Sabella relatives and mob associates and everything. They're all staring daggers at me as I walk down and tell my story, of course. And and then Oscar Goodman gets up and, and you know, I was like, oh, thinking, oh, God, he's going to like go after me. But, you know, he just said, well, officer, you know, how how far away were you or were you away from Mr. Sabella? And I said, well, you know, from here to the witness chair over there to the end of the jury box and okay so now now did you have an unobstructed view yes i did well now could you see exactly what they were doing no i couldn't see exactly what they were doing well did you know for sure that that was a check no i didn't know what it was and, and you know just question question after question but in a real nice pleasant voice that was you know was no nonsense but 
you know, no yelling or screaming or trying to browbeat me or trip me up or anything. And then, okay, no further questions. I breathed a sigh of relief and walked out. I didn't screw this one up, but, <laughs> but it's intimidating. Trust me, it's intimidating to go into federal courtroom like that and then know you're going to be cross-examined by one of these big-time, well-known uh, lawyers. Yeah, definitely. And, and then during this time, uh, or not during this time, but during the skim trials, you know, Kansas City family and Chicago and Milwaukee and Cleveland were all skimming money from the Stardust Casino where Lefty was really in charge of the skimming. The outfit had put him in charge, uh, sent him out there to do that. And once they got their hooks in and he set up all the people that he needed in certain places to to be able to skim the money out and send it back to Chicago and he would send it on to us in Kansas City and Milwaukee and Cleveland, Oscar was defending Lefty Rosenthal, because he had a lawsuit going against the gaming control board, they were trying to kick him out because they knew that he had been uh, convicted of bribery of college basketball players. He was a mob associate out of Chicago and everything that you needed to go into the black book and not be allowed what they call a key license in Las Vegas. If you don't have a key license and you can't have anything to do with any of the gaming or any of the money, now, Lefty had been working there as a food and beverage manager, and then he changed him over to entertainment director. And that's when he started his TV show. You know, you remember the TV show, don't you, Tony? Have you ever seen those clips? We're often quick to defend the Teamsters loans to Las Vegas, acknowledging that the $67 million to Glick looked a little fishy. Tonight, live! The all-new Frank Rosenthal Show! From the Stardust Hotel in the heart of the Las Vegas Strip, it's the all-new Frank Rosenthal Show! Yeah, apparently it was a horrible TV show. <laughs> yeah, According okay. to Oscar Goodman, it was the worst TV show in television history. <laughs> I've seen segments of it in YouTube, but I haven't watched a full show, but it, he wasn't much of a host, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he got I, – I saw him interview Frank Sinatra. Of course, you know, Frank Sinatra, Bob's got to get him to show up no matter how bad the show is. <laughs> And they had Muhammad Ali on there and saw one clip. He had, you know, a lot of people that were playing Vegas would then probably part of their contract was to go be on that show or they encouraged them to be on that show to get a little publicity for their appearance there. And so anyhow, Lefty's run that, but they were hounding him. And he took this, they took this all the way to Nevada Supreme Court and got the first banning overturned. 
but he still, he went, that's when he went back. I believe that's when he was a, a, like the food and beverage director. And then he went back in after that got overturned and then became an entertainment director. And then they moved on him again, of course. And, and in Kansas city, we're talking, uh, uh, Tuffy Luna, our underboss is talking on a daily basis back and forth with, uh, Joe Augusto with the Tropicana. And he's like their mole. He's telling them everything that Lefty's doing and telling them about in great detail about uh, his problems with the gaming control board. And Nick Savella is having these side conversations with Tuffy DeLuna worrying about this because he's creating so much publicity. And he, Nick Savella did not want any publicity brought onto Lefty Rosenthal because you'll end up getting the skim uncovered. But Lefty won't give it up. And Nick wants him to give it up. Then Nick has this conversation one day. He said, well, should I, can I call Oscar? You think I should call Oscar to get try to get to talk to Lefty? Or I need to talk to Lefty. Think I can talk to Lefty directly? Or do I need to check with them up north, meaning Chicago? And, and Tuffy says, you know, you can talk to him directly. You know, they, we had that settled at that meeting. They'd had a meeting several years before that. And obviously they had settled that Nick Savella, if he needed to tell Lefty to do something, he could tell him directly. See, Lefty is owned by Chicago. That's a big deal in that world. Who's owned by who? Nick wants, can't get Lefty. He can't, he's got to get him on a, you know, like a secret phone. He's got to get a message to him to call him from a payphone to a, a number that's never been used by Nick before in Kansas City. He's working to do that. He's trying to get messages to him indirectly. So one day he calls Oscar Goodman. Now you listen to that tape. Pretty interesting, isn't it, Tony? Yes, yes, yes. How how cagey Oscar was. He was so yes. cagey. He didn't yes. give up anything because he represented uh, Lefty, and, yep. and Nick was trying to get the trying to convince him in a real obtuse way that he needs to get Lefty to calm down. It seemed to me like. And get message to him yes. that I need to talk to him, but it was it was really interesting tape. He was obviously ruffling a few feathers uh, with his high profile battle with the authorities, which he took all the way. Um, he challenged the decision of the gaming control board, and it was attracting too much attention, and they just didn't like all that attention, and they felt like he was going too far. Yeah, that was even the famous scene that was. Uh, they recreated in the movie Casino where Tommy Smothers played Harry Reid, who was the chairman of the gaming control board. And Lefty is there. He had, he's wearing a hat in the gaming control board hearing 
He didn't do that in the movie, but in the real one, he did. And when Joe Augusto was telling Tuffy about it, he said something about his work. He, he wouldn't, wouldn't even take off his hat. He was disrespectful to the board. He was smoking cigarettes inside the boardroom. He wouldn't even take off his hat. And Tuffy says, what, what's the deal? Why, why didn't he take off his hat? He said, oh, he's got the hair plugs. You know, he's got the hair plugs. So uh, he had left. He had just gotten fresh hair plugs in when he was doing this. And he knew there was going to be cameras there. So it's like what a little slice of real life of, of mob history is th that conversation about that. Confrontation between Rosenthal Mr. and then Gaming Commission Chairman Harry Reid. An enraged Rosenthal accused Reid of double-crossing him after asking for favors from Rosenthal in the past. It was a confrontation that would earn Rosenthal the underworld nickname of crazy, and it illustrated the arrogance that the Chicago mob boys displayed in what they viewed as their town, Las Vegas. This was predictable. They would not even allow me a hearing. No inconsistency. When the chairman had told us that he would give us 10 days, whatever time we needed, until George Swartz spoke up in the kangaroo court. And today he pounded his gavel in accordance with his commissioners. I call him a hypocrite and the fellow members of this commission to deny me a fair hearing. I'd like to answer that while we're here. Uh, Mr. Rosenthal is being very typical to this point. He's lying. The only time I've ever been in the Stardust Hotel was with Brian Greenspun long prior to my getting on the commission. And, uh, in fact, I rode in the same car with Mr. Uh, Brian Greenspun. And had lunch with me in the Stardust Hotel and Brian Greenspun. And was that a lie, too? Well, I, we ate, Brian Greenspun and I ate in the Stardust Hotel. With what Frank Rosenthal at the table. You were wandering around. Thank there, you. Sure. All right. So that, but this conversation with Nick and folks here, just here's a little snippet of it. Listen to this. It's really interesting. Is Oscar Goodman? Oh, yes. Hold on a minute, Oscar. Hello. Hi. How are you? How are you, sir? Very good. How are you doing? You know who this is? Certainly. How are you doing? I'm good. And uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, first, how's it, Mrs. and Grot and the rest of the children? They're all doing fine, thank you. Anyway, I was reading some of your local papers there. And some things are turning out pretty fair, huh? Some are very good. Yeah. Some are very good. Uh, Others are going to be a little tougher, but some are very good. Are you rushing or you always talk fast? I always talk fast. When I, when I talk to people I know, I talk fast. You're not rushing then? No, not at all. Uh, let me, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know how to put this. Now. One of your clients, you know, that you and I have touched on once before, by do you have a definite opinion yet about whether he's going to? Uh, pull up, or is he going to uh, going forward? As I understand it, oh, that is that's his position. That's, uh, as I understand it, there's been nothing that has ever been conveyed to me to the contrary. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm only going to tell you this, but you then you got to leave it right, or you know, okay, okay. I was going to ask you to, to get a hold of it to have it reach me. See, all right, but but I've done it already now, so right, so so please forget it. Okay, fine. all right, yes. You don't know anything about nothing, about nothing, nobody, no. He'll, he'll get back to me and let me, then I'll do it my own way. Very good. I won't even say anything. All right. But can I, can I ask you without, uh, uh, I'm not trying to compromise you. I'll just ask you is one, uh, you know, friend to another. Right. Uh, what is your feeling about the position he's taking? 
well, uh, we get into that whole uh, psychological profile. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you again to that. It's the old story. Yeah. The old story. Yeah. But uh, would you agree that he might be opening up a tremendous big can of worms? Um, I might agree to that, but he would never. Well, I'm not a Hesker. I know what he'd never agree to. I don't think he's ever made a mistake in his life. Right. You know, my God, I know people like that, you know. Right, but with the, the timing of certain things here and uh, things that are happening in town, it, it's a shame that everything's uh, culminating at the same time. Because uh, one thing is going to affect uh, others, that's my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing I can do to stop it. But Have you expressed your opinion to him, Constance? Uh, not not as strongly as I'm stating it to you. And why don't you? Because it would get, uh, all I would do is get him to have another lawyer represent him. Well, so, but as, but I mean, as a, you know, as a, as a, uh, oh, I see, uh, well, I guess that, that's, I just thought maybe as a, you know, uh, just right from the shoulder thing and say, look, uh, uh, you're going to do it probably, but I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you exactly how I feel. You know, I think uh, we're about five years too late. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, boy. So, Tony, what do you think was? Oscar Goodman really being cagey or what? Absolutely. He was doing his best to just kind of politely, without being rude, uh, you know, in the best way possible, uh, tell Savella to, that he'll do his best, you know. There's only so much I can do and whatnot. But he, uh, he was placed in a very difficult position. He's acting for Rosenthal, and he has a duty to act in Rosenthal's best interest and act based on his instructions. For a third party to come in and tell him to calm it down, he would be breaching his duty to Rosenthal, so he was... Yeah, it was, was, was a bad place to be in. Have a yes, mob, it was a bad place boss. to be in. Yeah. And he handled it very well. He did, he did, but to have a mob yes. boss call you out and say, we need to calm this guy down, and, and the way he handled it, that was, uh, he was good. Yeah. I was impressed with that. I like that yeah. last little thing that Nick threw in. Yeah, listen to what, uh, of course, I, I'm just repeating it, our conversation stays confidential. Fine, I didn't even talk Client attorney, right? Very good. Thank you, buddy, and uh, my best at home. All right, and my best to everybody, too. Thank you very much. Nice to you. Bye. Bye. And, you know, another thing is Oscar always hated informants, right? He yes, was he was absolutely. vocal about that. He would, he would tell newspaper reporters. He would make statements in public about informants and always discrediting informants, especially Frank Culotta. He hated Frank Culotta. Then in the end... I, I know people have brought this to him now because he's still alive out there. Lefty Rosenthal was the top echelon informant for the FBI all along. <laughs> that was interesting. That only came out a few years ago. Right. That was quite surprising. Yeah, after after he died. And, and usually the FBI won't even verify it after their informant's dead because they don't want other people who they're trying to turn to think, oh, well, as soon as I die, they'll let the cat out of the bag and then all my family will pay the price, which they will. In that world, your blood family end up paying the price uh, yeah, that's with other right. people. If it come, comes out, you were an informant. And and I know I, I mentioned to a local FBI agent who was the case agent on the skim. And I said, you know, I just read in a Las Vegas uh, review journal, there's a reporter named Jane Ann Morrison that said she had a FBI source that verified that, Lefty Rosenthal was a top echelon informant, and and he still wouldn't admit it or verify it. He just gave me this disgusted look <laughs> and changed the subject. So, <laughs> and he was a friend to a lot of people in Las Vegas too. He, I know, he had one friend who had a son that was kidnapped, 
during those early years. And, and he just dropped everything. And as a matter of fact, when Nick Savella was trying to get hold of him, he, he couldn't get hold of him for a while because he was just sitting and dealing with this friend and representing the friend and helping him deal with the local police until they got his son back. I don't remember. I, I think the, I think the kid was killed as one of these kidnappings for, for ransom kind of a kidnapping. So he, he was, he had a lot of friends and, and he was loyal to his clients. If nothing else, he was definitely loyal to his clients. He actually played himself in casino in the hearing, the gaming control board. He played himself. He's a flamboyant character, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And he was actually in another movie. I think it was uh, Rush Hour. Oh, Rush Hour 2. Oh, he was in Rush Hour (laughs) 2. Yes. Yes. Uh, folks, we'll have to look at that Rush Hour 2. I've never seen that one. Of course, I've seen him in, in Casino. I've seen that movie two or three times. Tony Toke, I really appreciate you coming on and helping me with Lefty. It was Lefty. Well, Tony Toke, I really appreciate you coming on and helping me with Oscar Goodman. He's uh, one of the uh, more flamboyant and well, maybe in some ways, uh, certainly west of the Mississippi, the most well-known mob lawyer in the United States. And his, I know his reputation reached back east and certainly up to Chicago. They all knew Oscar Goodman. Yes, indeed. Very interesting character. Like I said before, the gold standard for mob lawyers, I guess. Yeah, really. Gold standard mob lawyers. That's a good one. <laughs> yes. All right, guys, you know, I like to ride motorcycles. So watch out for motorcycles when you're out there. You know, like and subscribe. Uh, down below and give me a review if you want to if you don't want to that's okay give me a bad review you know i I just want the attention even it's a bad attention now (laughs) and if you have a problem with ptsd and you've been in the service go to the uh, va website and get that hotline number if you have a problem with drugs or alcohol our friend anthony ruggiano is involved in the treatment business down in Florida and on his website, anthonyruggiano.com or Reformed Gangsters, I believe is his uh, YouTube page. He has his hotline number. So if you need that kind of help, why get hold of Anthony. So Tony Toke from Down Under, I really appreciate you coming back on the show and and we look forward to doing another one. What do you want to do next time? You want to do that Frank Regano or? I'm tossing up between Frank Regano and Robert Simone of Philadelphia. Not sure yet. All right. All right. Well, we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot, Tony. Definitely. Thank you.